Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. While you're finding your place in Acts chapter 9, I read a story this week. Uh, It was about uh, two men that lived in the 18th century. They were two young men. They were from England, and they were lawyers. These two lawyers were very, very keen in their minds, very smart. One was by the name of Lord Littleton, and the other one's name was Gilbert West. They were so intelligent that they would look at one another and they would say, with confidence, we believe that Christianity could be disproved because it is based on two really unreliable sources. The first source, they said, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second source, they said, was the uh, salvation of the Apostle Paul. And they said, if we could prove these two things to be wrong, Christianity would crumble like a house of cards. Gilbert Gilbert West said, you're right. He says, that's what we'll do. We'll write books. Gilbert uh, Gilbert, uh, West said, I'll write a book on the alleged resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord Littleton said, I then in turn will write a book on the alleged salvation of the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. I'll write a book about him proving that there's no way he saw the risen Savior. So they set their task. Several months into their journey, they came across their paths once again and had lunch together. They were inquiring about how their investigations were going. Gilbert West turned to Littleton and said, I've got a confession to make. I hate to say this, but it looks like there's more evidence to this thing being true than untrue. Lord Littleton said, you know what? I'm finding out the same thing. Gilbert West said, well, let's not draw any conclusions right now. Let's keep investigating and let's let's continue to write our books. So off they went. In the end, after they had finished their investigations, they set to writing their books. Each one wrote the exact opposite of what they intended to do. Mr. Gilbert West wrote a book entitled, if you would, uh, he entitled The Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord Littleton wrote a book entitled The The Conversion of Saint Paul. Both men in their journey to prove that Christianity was unreliable, both in their investigations, both with their brilliant minds, set out to prove that Christianity was wrong by saying the resurrection never happened and the Apostle Paul did not see the risen Lord Savior Jesus Christ. The conclusion, they got saved. This is just one of many times when Jesus showed up and showed out and people got saved. In our story today in Acts chapter 9, this passage of Scripture runs all through 31 verses. And it reads like a Broadway play 
with three scenes. Scene number one, or part one, would be Saul's conversion. That's found in verses 1 through 9. Part two, or the second scene, would be Saul's commitment. That's found in verses 10 through 19. And part three would be Saul's confession. That would be uh, chapter 9, verses 20 through verse 31. This morning, I want to pause and focus on part one, which I've entitled Saul's Conversion. And when you look at Saul's conversion in verses 1 through 9, you will notice as we read it, it will naturally break into two parts. I want to share those two parts with you this morning. And my heart's desire and my prayer for you is simply this. Number one, that you would be encouraged as a born-again child of God. To know that when you got saved, there was Jesus. Number two, that you would be challenged. That the Lord Jesus Christ, through His Holy Spirit, would challenge your heart and mine to be a bolder, stronger witness for Jesus Christ, knowing this, Jesus is everywhere you go. And number three, my prayer for you is this. If you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ, whether you're sitting in this room today or whether you're listening by way of the internet or you're listening by way of radio or maybe you've picked us up on the podcast, Regardless of how you're receiving this message today, my third prayer for you is if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, that today would be the day that you pray to receive Jesus Christ because Jesus is right there with you. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he journeyed, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but not seeing one. Let me say something parenthetically right there. See, a lot of people hear Jesus, but they never see him with their heart. They may hear hear about him with their ears, but do they really see him in the heart? I'm telling you what, the day I got saved, it was no longer me hearing with my ears but hearing with my heart. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blind. And they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And uh, he was there. He was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I said at the beginning of this sermon that this text breaks naturally into two basic sections. I want to give you those sections today, and I hope it'll be an encouragement to you, challenge you, and hopefully someone will receive Christ today. Number one, the first thing that I want you to see is the sinner's intent. 
the sinner's intent. In verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9, in these two verses, we see Saul's intentions. Saul is in no doubt a sinner. And we see his intentions as we read in verse number 1. Then Saul, still breathing. Now if I had my pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I got it highlighted in my Bible. I would underline it in yours or highlight it if you're using highlighters. Whatever, I would make a mark in that, uh, in that term, still breathing. Why? Well, because it's communicating, us, communicating to us the intention that Saul has. Saul is a sinner, and his intention is to continue to persecute the church. He wanted to keep on persecuting it. Clearly, he did not have a wait-and-see perspective like his teacher did. You'll remember, and we'll read here as we continue our journey through the book of Acts, that uh, Saul's teacher was uh, Gamiel. And Gamiel said in Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 39, he says, let's wait and see what happens with these Christians. Don't, don't fly off the handle just yet. Well, his own student, Saul, said, there ain't no way I'm listening to that advice. I'm going after them. And he is still pursuing them. He is still doing everything in his power to persecute the church. He was there consenting to the death of Stephen. He has now received letters from the, the council to go into Damascus, into the synagogues, and to get a hold of these Christians who are of the way, the Bible says, proving to us that there was this zeal for God that, that Saul had, but he did not have the knowledge of who Jesus Christ was. By the way, that's exactly what Saul testifies to the fact of in Romans chapter 10 verse 2. He said, I may have been zealous for God, but I did not have the full knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is to say, I knew who Jesus was in my head, but I did not know who he was in my heart. And that's the problem that we have still today. We know who Jesus is in our head. And we love that Jesus in our head. But we're not willing to pay the price it takes to give our heart to Jesus Christ and suffer in the fellowship of his suffering like Jesus did himself. Saul is going to clearly understand this as God wreaks havoc upon his life as he tries to wreak havoc in the church. And so we see the intentions that he has is threefold in the text. The Bible says that he wants to threaten Christians. Look at what the scripture says, verse number one. Then Saul, still breathing threats. Still breathing threats. That is, he has embarked upon this campaign. One in which he started in chapter 8, verse 3. To wreak havoc in the church. He wants to go into the home meetings that are existing there within Jerusalem. And the scripture says, and he'll testify to this fact, he is wanting to pull them out by the hair of their heads and threaten them that he's going to kill them, he's going to imprison them, he's going to torture them. As a matter of fact, we see some insight into Paul's testimony on what he really wanted to do with Christians over in Acts chapter number 26. If you have your Bibles, let's turn just a few pages over and look at it. It's worth noting at this juncture as we are introduced to this man by the name of Saul, who will later be known as Paul. Look at what the scripture says in Acts chapter number 26, uh, beginning in verse number 9. He tells us in the word of God, indeed, he says, I myself thought I might, I must do many things contrary to to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You see what he's saying there? Paul is saying, I took it upon my personal interest 
to whatever the Christians said were true, I'm going to do directly opposite of that. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about our culture today. Is our culture not exercising the same intent that Saul was exercising in that first century church? Our culture is doing the same thing today. Uh, you just look at this week. If you watched any of the hearings on, uh, on Judge, on, on Judge uh, uh, Amy Cohn Barrett, if you watched any of that, she was being accused from the negative position of being a Christian who believed in Christian moral values. You see, we have got to realize today that our culture that exists around us is against the local church. It is, there's no accident while churches all across the land are still shut down. This has gone way beyond, way beyond this issue of exercising common sense when it comes to the coronavirus. Is the coronavirus real? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes. Is there many different strains that exist out there today? Yes. Is our country seeing a third strain make its way through our country? Quite possibly, yes. But that doesn't mean we check our brains at the door and fall at the face of our government and say, what do you want us to do? The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. If you've got to do it in a rat hole somewhere, get with other believers. It's what the Word of God says. It's what the Bible says. Now look, I'm all for broadcasting, getting the word out. I I want people in Africa to watch this. I want people in Israel to watch this. I want folks all over our nation and around the world to watch this. But I want people in the house of God, worshiping the God that's in the Bible, saying we're not afraid, we stand on the biblical principles, and we're going to come to church. So you fired up today, preacher. Bless God if you only knew. Where's I at? Acts 26. Some of that was free. I ain't even in my notes. My stars. All right, look, 20. Here we go. Notice with me. Follow along with me. If you're at home, listen. I'm not upset you're at home. I'm not upset you're at home. Some of you, because of your pre-existing condition, it is so wise for you to stay home. And I'm so grateful we're able to come and be with you in your living room. But bless God, if you use this as an excuse not to come to the house of God and you're perfectly healthy and you've got, you can exercise common sense and you can spread out and you can do what's right and keep your hands washed, don't put your fingers in your mouth like your mama taught you, then we'll be okay. Look at what he says here. He said, I was doing everything that I could in verse number 9 to do what's contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what's happening today, verse 10. He says, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many, and many of the saints, he says, I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, now, if you have your pens, I'd underline that word they. When they were put to death, I'll come back to that in a minute. I cast my vote against them, Saul said. And not only that, verse 11, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I pursued them even into foreign cities. He says, I became a missionary of evil. 
and I stopped going into the local house churches. I started going into the synagogues, and I started compelling them to blaspheme the name of God so I could rebuke them too, and I could threaten them also. He says, I'm wreaking havoc not only in the church, I'm wreaking havoc in the synagogue and wherever I can go. And I don't care how far I've got to go, I'll pursue every last Christian to threaten them. That was Saul's intent, number two. The second intent, not only did he want to do that, he also wanted to murder Christians. Let me show you this. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 22. Notice this one. Acts chapter 22. Here we see Saul addressing this Jerusalem mob that's here. And he says in verse number 1 of 22, he says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you right now. He says, And when they heard that he spoke to them in, he, in a Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. They said, Wait a minute, this guy's speaking our language. Hang, hang on just a second before we start stoning him. Then he said this, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, and brought up in this city at the feet of Gamiel. You remember him? He's the guy that said, don't, don't, don't do anything rash. Let's let this thing play out. If it's not, if it's not of God, it's going to die. It'll die if it's not. If it's of God, it'll continue. That was Saul's teacher. He sa- and Saul is saying, he says, I was taught by him, and I'm not listening to his counsel. He says, I'm going after them. And he says, I taught then according to the strictest of our father's law. And was zealous towards God. As all of you are today. And here it is. Verse 4. Watch this. I've persecuted this way. You see way is capitalized there? He's talking about the ways of Christians. I've persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering into prison both men and women. As although the high priest bears me witness in all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren uh, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. He said, I did it, I did it, I did it with everything that it was in me. My intent was to threaten Christians, but my intent was to murder them. Now I want you to think about this. Here is a man who is is a Jew of the Jew, follows after Judaism, Holds to the Ten Commandments. Knows the law better than anybody. And by the way, what's one of the commandments? Thou shalt not kill. And he says, I don't care. I'm going after them. Saul's lost. He's dying. And he's on his way to hell. So where's that road to Damascus going? Hell. Where's the road you're going without Jesus? Hell. We don't talk about hell anymore. That's another, that's another thing. I, I, I'll be honest with you. It, it, I, here again, it's not in my notes. But I'm telling you, we've got too many preachers out there that's got lace on their underwear. And they're not willing to stand up and call sin, sin. Listen to me. I'm not trying to be dogmatic. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to let my dogma shine through. But I'm telling you, the Word of God is true. And if the Word of God speaks sin is sin, call sin, sin. I I challenge my my former brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we so scared of our culture and what the culture might do to us that we're not willing to say, if God be for us, who will be against me? If the Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman, bless God, it's between a man and a woman. If the Bible says homosexuality is wrong, then bless God, it's wrong. 
It doesn't matter my opinion about it. This is either right or this is either wrong. Let the logic play out. If it is true, and it is, that you've got a God-shaped vacuum in your heart and you're wanting to fill it. Even Saul, this religious zealot, knew he had a God-shaped vacuum in his heart and he's trying to fill it to the point of stepping beyond the law and murdering Christians. That's his intent. Number three. So you fired up today, preacher. I ate my Wheaties this morning. Number three, he also wants to imprison Christians. Again, in, in, in the scriptures, in chapter 22, uh, verses 1 through 5. Again, just, just turn very quickly. I know I'm spending too much time on it, but I want you to see his intent. It is very clear. The scripture says in chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse number 1, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 3 again, he says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus, but I was brought up at the feet of Gamal, and I taught according to the strictness of our father's laws. And I was zealous towards God, as you all are today. I perse- persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering them into prison. So here we find again, he uses this term, the the way, with a capital. In the text, in Acts chapter 9, he uses the term or the phrase, of the way. He says, I'm going after those that are of the way. And that way is the way of Jesus. And so we're not called the way anymore, but our culture says, you may not be called of the way, but our culture says you're in the way. And because you're in the way, we want you out of the way so that we can do an agenda here. You see, when it comes to being of the way, according to John chapter 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man will come to the Father but by me. But we don't like authority in our culture today, do we? No. That's why we wanted to fund the police. If you are of the way, you will always be in the way when it comes to culture. Why? Because if you're of the way, you have a new way of thinking. You've got a new way of feeling. You've got a new way of working. You've got a new way of acting. You've got a new way of living. And that living is with Jesus. You you see again what happened with Amy Coney Barrett. Our culture is pursuing us. Just like Saul pursued Christians. And the intention of our culture is to threaten us, to murder us, and to imprison us. But let me take it a step further. Please, bid me just a moment. To move beyond the effects of our culture and move into our personal lives and say this. Do you remember what your life was like before you got saved? Do you remember how hostile you were towards Christians? Them bunch of religious Jesus freaks. David gives testimony on many occasions. He asked his wife, he says, Do you love Jesus more than me? And Donna said, Yeah, I love Jesus more than I love you. He is so hostile towards Christians. He he, he tells a story. He says he kicked out one of the panels on a a door, six-panel door. He kicked it out. He is so mad. I was so mad at, at Christians. People come to me one day and they said, they said uh, are you saved? Are you saved? I got so tired of them asking me. I finally just said, yes, I'm saved. Quit asking me this. Hostile. You, you remember how hostile you were before you got saved? You remember who the enemy was before you got saved? You thought the enemy before you got saved was the preacher. At blessed, bless God, he thinks he knows everything. 
Jared's over here. He points that finger like it's pointing me in the chest. Joker's got the longest finger I've ever met. It's crazy. Mean Rudy spits and slobbers, lifts up the Bible, puts himself under it, yells and screams and gets excited. Every now and then, he'll do a little jig on the pulpit. He's crazy. Nuts. They're religious nuts. Persecution. You remember how you were before you got saved? Remember before I got saved? I didn't want to be with Christians. Why? Because they're a bunch of what? Hypocrites. Look, I, I, look, listen to me. Listen all over this land. I want you to hear me this morning. Please listen to me. None of us in that Maysville Baptist Church, not a one of our members, including their pastors, perfect. Not a one of us. The difference between us and every other individual out there again today is that we understand that we've been bought with a price. And it's not that we think that we're better than you because we're not for the grace of God, we'd be right where you are. But because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross, we clearly understand, many of us clearly understand, Jesus took our place and washed us with the blood of Jesus. It's not that we're perfect. We're just saying we've been set free and forgiven. The intent of the sinner. The sinner's intent. Just like Saul, we wanted to threaten, murder, and imprison Christians before we got saved. That's the sinner's intent. But watch this. We come to the second part, verses 3 through 9. And we see not only the sinner's intent, but you notice the Savior's involvement. The Savior's involvement. The sinner's intent would have been carried out were not for the Savior's involvement. I'm telling you, listen, when the Savior gets involved, that's when things start changing. And the Savior got involved in Saul's life. Here in verses 3 through 9, we see the Lord Jesus meeting Saul. Watch this. Right where he was. So you think you can run away from God. You can't run away from him. You can't run. He sees right where you are. He knows the very hairs on your head. He sees what you're into. He sees what you're up to. And he knows you better than you know yourself. When you're up and you're in those deepest, deepest, darkest parts of your day, whether it be depression, whether it be temptation, regardless of what that temptation might be, Jesus is there. There is Jesus. He's there. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, watch this. There are four things that, that, that really demand our attention when it comes to the Savior's involvement. Let me show them to you very quickly. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is the course. The course. What do you mean by course? I'm talking about a journey. The course that Saul was on. Look at what the Scripture says in verse 3. The Bible tells us here in the text that as he journeyed, Saul is on a journey. He is on a course. That course that he is on is very different. It's very different than the course that God has for him. Saul thinks he's on a course to run headlong into the synagogues and pull Christians out. But the Lord Jesus Christ sees him on a course to meet him right where he's at. The Bible says, as he journeyed. Dear friend, today you're on a journey. We're on a journey. We're walking today. 
and you think you may have come to church just to encounter some religious opportunity. You may be in church today thinking, I'm just clicking off my list today, my ecclesiastical responsibility. But I'm here to tell you today, the Lord wants to meet you right where you're at. And whatever you think the course of your day is supposed to be and what the course of the day the Lord Jesus says, those are two different things. You see, there are two types of people sitting in that seat that you're in today. There's the person you are, and then there's the person you could be for the glory of God. And God wants to meet you right on and change you just like he changed Saul. The Bible says, as he was journeying, it happened that he got close to Damascus. And suddenly, the Bible says, there was a light that shone from the sky all the way around him in verse number 3. In retelling and recounting this story just a little bit later in, in Acts chapter 22... Paul will say that this incident took place at noonday. You want to find that, let me give you the text. Acts chapter 22, verse 6. And then he says it again, Acts chapter 26, verse 13. The time of day in the noonday, in the midday, is when the sun is so the most intense. It's the hottest, it's the brightest. I want you to think about this. This light from heaven would have to be so bright to be noticed so dramatically as it was, as it was brighter than the noonday sun. Paul will literally describe it in Acts chapter 26 in verse 13. Let's look at it. Let's look at what he says about this encounter. Chapter 26 in verse number 13. He says this. He says, at midday, O king. Now he's, he's recounting his conversion experience. He says, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. He said, I'm going to tell you what, the light that I encountered it absolutely blew me away. It was brighter than the noonday sun. Now why is that important? Listen to me very carefully. Because light is a recurring motif throughout Luke's writing. When he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and also when he wrote the book of Acts, Luke presents the Gospel as a shedding light. It is appearing, this beautiful light. And it's shining, if you would, on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Luke chapter 1 verse 79 says this. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, the scripture says this. A light for revelation to the nations. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Remember, the completed word of God has not been written, David. There's this supernatural power that's been given to the disciples. God, in his great sovereignty and through his great love, gives man an opportunity through pre-biblical text, but canonization... To demonstrate the greatness of God and the light by which Luke writes about. By shining a light on Saul brighter than the noonday sun. That is a testimony to the fact he is in darkness. And the only way to come out of that darkness is to be hit with the light. And so we find that in Luke uh, chapter number 23, verse 45, when Jesus died, what did, does the scripture say? The scripture says the sun was darkened. Why? Because the light went out. Hey. 
But darkness didn't know what to do when the light went out. It could only keep it dark for a couple of days, three days to be exact, when the light of the resurrection flipped on. And up from the grave, he arose. Victorious over death, victorious over hell, victorious over the grave to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. This was the light that Saul came in contact with. Paul will later say that he is to be the light to the Gentile. He's not saying he's to be Jesus to the Gentile. He's the one that's saying, I'm going to come into the Gentiles. I'm going to flip the lights on so they can see who Jesus really is. We see the course. You see, Jesus wants to take the course that you're on and change that course for his glory. Number two. Not only do you see the course, you also see the conviction. We're talking about the Savior's involvement. We've seen the course. Now I want you to see the conviction. Back in Acts chapter number 9, verses 4, 5, and 6. Notice what happens in the text. The scripture is so wonderful. The Bible says, Then he, being Saul, fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now I hope you have your pens ready. Watch this. And he said, Lord, who are you? Or who are you, Lord? I would underline that word Lord there. That's important. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. I would underline that, man. That's important. Whom you are persecuting, it's hard for you to kick against the the goats. And look what he says in verse 6. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'd underline that word, Lord. There are three very important things there. But before we get to that, I want you to see the conviction that Saul is under. Where is the conviction? It's found directly in verse 6, where it says he is trembling and astonished. This is a form of New Testament conviction. He uh, He is under such conviction that he has moved from a place of pride to a place of humility. And what did it take to get... Paul, humble. He had to be knocked off his horse. I'm going to tell you what. God is very good, very good at knocking us off our horses. Knocking us off. He knocked him off the horse. Now, you might not literally be knocked off the horse today, but I promise you when God shows up, you'll be knocked to your knees. And so the scripture says he was astonished. He couldn't believe his eyes. And and this word trembling, once again, is saying that here's when a sinner, when a sinner receives Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord, they come because they're under deep conviction. And that conviction brings oftentimes contrition. I remember when I got saved, bless God, when I got saved, I couldn't help it. I, I started weeping. I started crying. I clearly understood why Jesus died on the cross. He took my place and he took my sin. And it moved me with such conviction to know that someone would love me that much. Jonathan Edwards is probably one of the, one of the uh, most read 16th century pastors that are out there today. He was literally blind. He couldn't see at all. Uh, that He was so blind. He could see, but he was so blind. His, his glasses were so thick. When he wrote a sermon, he had to read the sermon with the paper in front of him. He, couldn't, he, he could not just, just preach it. He had to take the text and he had to lift his text up and he had to read it like this. The most well-known sermon that Jonathan Edwards ever preached 
was entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You can get it. You go to Amazon and, and get, get it and read it. It is phenomenal. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. In the day that he preached that, people were under such conviction, they, would hold, they were holding on to the pews in front of them, fearful. They were wailing and screaming while he preached that message. And he was reading it. He couldn't even see them, but he could hear them. The conviction was so strong in the room, they were terrified. They thought the floor would literally fall out from under them and they would drop into hell. Conviction. Let me just say this. The day I got saved, I thought, I, I thought the floor could fall out. I, I thought I was going to hell that day. I mean, I, I was. I was under such conviction that I was willing to turn to my friends. I was in the middle. I, I was right in the middle. And we weren't social distancing back then. Bless God. Man, I'm telling you what. You, we were, it was pack a pew. And we were in there. And we had to take notes. And I, I can remember at the invitation, I said, I, y'all got to let me out. I've gone. And I just started walking. Why? I was under such conviction. I had to get some relief. Like Jerry Clower says, somebody shoot up here amongst us. I need some relief. And that relief could only come through Jesus. And I stand here today because on March 24th, 1988, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God fell on me so heavy, I could not go anywhere but to Jesus. Conviction. And then I want you to see conversion. This is it. I'm, man, my time is it's, it's gone. My time is gone. But let me watch, watch this. Let me give you this third and fourth one very quickly. Conversion, verse 6. Look at verse 6 again. The Bible says, not only did he tremble and was astonished, he said, Lord... What do you want me to do? Now, why is this so vitally important? Remember, I had you underline the word Lord there and the word Lord in verse number 5. These two are the same words. It's a Greek word, kerios. It is what a Jew, a Hebrew, and even a Greek, a Greek that would speak Greek, this was the term they would use to refer to God. Kerios. And so he says, he says, first of all, he asks the question, who are you, Kyrios? He, watch this. He knows God's talking to him. Remember, Brandon, he is a religious zealot. He, he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He knows everything about the law. He believes in creation. The first five books of the Bible, he's all over. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, he knows it like the back of his hand. He served under the greatest teacher of his day. He knew, and when God said, Saul, he says, yes, Lord. Who are you, God? Who are you? And and watch this. Watch this. Who are you, God, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. Can you imagine the memories that just flooded Saul's mind? Saul, in his mind, must be thinking, I've got these letters in my backpack. 
I'm going into the synagogue to arrest Christians. And these Christians are little Christ. Christ means Jesus. These are people that are following Jesus. Jesus is God. God just identified himself as Jesus. Jesus said, I am Jesus. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. He's saying, you killed Stephen. You're imprisoning Christians. You are threatening Christians. And you're murdering Christians. And you're murdering me. And you can't kick against it anymore. And the convicting power of the Holy Spirit has got him trembling and astonished so that he looks up and he says to Jesus Christ, Kyrios! He says, you're God. Jesus, you're God. I wonder at that moment, I wonder if he thought about Stephen, whom it could quite possibly be. He's got his clothes. He's got Stephen's clothes in the, in the satchel on his horse because he's using it to threaten Christians with. You want to end up like this? You want to end up like these bloody rags as Stephen, one of your disciples that you follow after, as he follows after Jesus was stoned to death, that I said kill him? He was using that to his advantage. And he remembers before they laid those clothes at his feet, Stephen says, I see the Son of God standing with his arms open. I see Jesus. There is Jesus. Jesus, do not hold this against them. Saul says, God... What do you want me to do? And then we see the command. Verses 6 through 9. He says, the Lord said to him, get up. I'm going to tell you what. Every time, I don't care care where you go in Scripture, the first thing Jesus is going to tell you to get up. He didn't call you to lay down. He called you to get up. He said, get up. Go. Every time you see Jesus, not only does he say get up, he also always says go. Every time. Get up and go. Get up and go. You know what would fix our nation? If Christians would get up and go. What we need to do is get up and go. That would make another great sermon right there. Get up and go. He said, I want you to go into the city. And he says, there I'm going to tell you what to do. And then the scripture says, and the men who joined him or journeyed with him stood speechless because they they can't believe what's going on. But watch this. When people don't know what's going on in your life, it doesn't mean that God's not going to use them in your life. And so these individuals, they, they didn't know what was going on. What did they do? They led Saul to Damascus. Now the scriptures never say if they truly got saved, but I know this for a fact. When God changes a life, in particular when he changed this life, when he changed Saul's life, he radically changed Saul's life. It'd be hard to be around Saul and not hear about how Jesus Christ saved his soul. So the command that we see here is to rise up and to go. Why? Because this must be done in order for me to tell you what to do. The the word there, must, in the scripture is the word the. And it means necessary. It is necessary for you to get up and for you to go. What is the whole basis of the, the Great Commission? It is necessary for us to get up and go. And when I pray and we're dismissed here in just a few minutes, we're going to get up and we're going to go. We're, some of us are going to go to Walmart. Can I get a witness? Some of us are going to go to Ingalls. Some of us are going to go to the Mexican restaurant. Some of us are going to go here. Some of us are going to go there. But as we get up and go, may we never forget 
while we're going. Because the Bible says, as you are going, make disciples. That's the command. And that's what God is about to do to Saul. Get up and go. Now, why was it necessary for Saul to be blinded? Uh, Why why was that important? Remember, he's the number one hit man. He is it for Christians. And if, if him and his entourage there at midday experience God the way they experienced him, and he leaves, he leaves Jerusalem heading to Damascus to kill, murder, and threaten Christians, what do you think they're going to say when he gets there if he doesn't have some disciple to come alongside and help him? They're going to say, this is a ploy. He's playing a trick on us. And they do say that already. But Barnabas has to come to his side, as we'll see here in just a little while. But the bottom line is simply this. In regards to this, it was necessary for him to be blind and be led around by others until he received his sight and then was discipled and was baptized and was given the full authority to go out and to no longer, to no longer kill Christians, but to share the good news of Jesus Christ. How does God change a man? How does God change a life? He meets them right where they are. The sinner has an intention, but the Savior has an involvement. Here's the question I have for you today, dear friend. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus like that? You can't walk away from Saul's conversion and not walk away with these four thoughts. Thought number one. He who came to arrest was being arrested by God himself. He who came to give orders was now taking orders from God. He who came boldly and defiantly was guided blindly and humbly. He who came to cast out the disciples found refuge and strength in those very disciples. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, take courage. The culture may want to kill you, imprison you, and threaten you. But I got good news. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Don't be intimidated by this culture. Be motivated by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so very much for this opportunity to preach your word. Lord, uh, there might be someone here today that doesn't know the free pardon of sin. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, that they would see their condition as being lost without Jesus. Maybe a head knowledge like Paul had, but not a heart knowledge. And Heavenly Father, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. God, do what only you can, and we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name. Now, before I say amen, maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. I want to give you that opportunity. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd like to trust Christ as Savior, would you do just what Paul wrote in the book of Romans? Will you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus just like he did and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead just like Saul did? The Bible says you will be saved. Would you say something like this to the Lord right where you're at, whether it be in your home, whether it be in your car, whether it be right here in this very room. Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. 
And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. I repent and trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.